Yo, yo, Ma. It's one o'clock on the East Coast. He plays like the violin or the cello or something, right? The bass. Yeah, that guy can play, by the way. I know he happens well, to be a huge. What play? You're talking, you say you no, can he, play. I, he plays the cello. I've seen him. I've seen him. He's a badass. Like, okay. it's incredible. And he was actually jamming out at Kennedy Center Honors when they uh, honored Led Zeppelin. I don't even know how I got on this topic. Market call. Today's market call brought to you by, of course, Facts That Dan, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. by tomorrow. By the way, you have the great Carter Braxton Worth. You're going to dig Carter. He's got a tie on. He looks good. Um, a lot going on. Uh, hot inflation numbers. And we, who was that mayor? Who was that mayor in New York City? Because his his company had a little headline about that. But how are you, Dan? I'm doing OK. You know, guy, um, I you know, we call you Nostradami every once in a while. You kind of have this thing where you look into the future and you kind of kind of make a guess about what's going to happen. I mean, you've been talking all summer about these inflation readings. They bottomed out is what you were saying. They're going to start to pick up a little bit. And it's funny. I mean, I mean, again, you could have just looked. It's just math. Right. A, a lot of it. And, and you've been making that point pretty clearly. Um, I guess what you've been trying to get in front of, though, is how how is the equity market going to react mm-hmm. right? to hotter data? How are consumers going? going to start reacting to headlines that suggest that it's picking back up again. And these are the sorts of things that they don't always just play out the way you'd like them to do. But one of the reasons why we bring them up and we kind of speculate about this sort of stuff is because, you know, it's it's like kind of what we do. We sit here and we stare at our fact set machines all day. We read stories on Bloomberg and CNBC and all that sort of stuff. And it just seemed logical. Now, the fact is, guy, the reaction to this slightly hotter than expected CPI number is kind of meh. We do have the S&P up 25 basis yeah. points. We have the NASDAQ up 50. And I guess is the point here in that headline right there, it said one more, just one more. You know what I mean? Like, is that it? Is that is it? Is it just the all clear here? Is that kind of what the market is taking its cue from? Because yields aren't moving a whole heck of a lot either. Nothing's well, look, the S&P, I think, got down to 44, 55 or so. So it's rallied like 22 handles ish. Over the last couple hours, which is, you know what? I understand. Not a big deal, but it is impressive because, again, we play this game on fast money. If you had told me X, what do you think the reaction of the market would have been? And again, you know, I was sort of anticipating a hotter than expected number it was actually even a little bit tad hotter than I thought it would be. So I thought it would be easily easily we could have the S&P down 35 to 50 handles on a number like that. Again, given where we are, didn't happen, at least it hasn't happened yet. So you're right. It is sort of matching yields haven't really moved either. So I think you're right to point both those things out. What I would push back on a little bit, and I know you're sort of playing devil's advocate, is that even if the Fed were to move one more time, again, I'll say this for the you know the 25th time, I don't necessarily think it matters at this point. The work they've done, the damage they've done is already sort of behind us, and we're going to start feeling the impact. So I think you're starting to feel it in some of the numbers that we've seen you're going to clearly start to feel it in terms of the unemployment rate, which I think will tick up. By the way, a leading indicator for U.S. unemployment historically has been what goes on in California. California unemployment's been ticking up in a pretty precipitous rate. So we'll see if that catches up and if that, you know, if history continues to repeat itself in the form of California as opposed to the United States. But today, at least at 1.03 p.m., 
market doesn't seem to care all that much. Yeah, stock market doesn't seem to care. We talked a little bit yesterday about 24 hours ago about the rotation that we're basically seeing, you know, with Tech Week at, at the time, you know, Oracle was down 13 or so percent. We saw Tech Week, we saw banks, um, and we saw energy stocks trading really well. So the money's finding a bit of a home. And I'll just say this to wrap it up on the macro before we get to Carter here is that, you know, listen, guy, there is a show going on somewhere, you know, maybe it's on the internet, maybe it's on financial TV, maybe it's on the radio somewhere where there's a couple of blokes like us who are looking at that CPI print, right? And they're actually looking at it through an entirely different lens. You know what I mean? They're thinking about the damage that was caused by those 500 plus basis points of rate increases over the last 18 months and looking at the equity market where they are, looking at employment under 4%, looking at CPI under 4%, you know, looking at all this sort of stuff. And they're saying, Hey man, that's the soft landing. We did it. You know what I mean? Like mission accomplished. And so, you know, I, I just, I do think it's interesting. And one of the reasons why we like to try to have um, alternative views come on our programs and on, on the tape, we've had a bunch over the last few weeks or so. But again, I don't think you and I are ready to kind of turn tail at this moment here. Um, Let's bring in Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting here. We'll kind of get his take on, on some of the action, given the expectations. Carter, thoughts a little bit, because Guy just said it. There's not a whole heck of a lot of movement, but the movement, you know, late yesterday, we saw markets rally into the close a little bit. Today, we're rallying a little bit here, even though the headlines are saying maybe there's one more 25 basis point hike this year. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the real movement uh, is is the actual 10-year yield, right, which is to say we spiked at the open uh, when we heard the data from CPI, now we're on the low. Once again, going up against the highs of a year ago. Uh, and so the, the, the curious thing is that uh, on the 21st of October, here we are the 13th of September, 11 months later, rates are still where they were or lower than almost a year ago. Uh, the fascinating thing, it's always about extrapolation. That's what the sell side does, right? And it's always about rate of change. So if you think about it, October 11 months ago was the low of the equity market, but rates are exactly the same, 4.25% then, 4.25% now. So why would the market be up so much? Because at the time, incorrectly, the street was extrapolating. We've gone to four, two, five, we're going to five, five, six, five, nine, five. Oh my God. Now here we are exactly a year later, rates are unch. So how come the S&P is not at the low? Well, the point is that there is no, the market is saying, equities are saying rates are not going higher. Ultimately, we remain in the camp that it's going to be lower rates and lower stocks, but that's to be determined. Guy, we have that flattening. Look at that that flattening moving average there. We have that uptrend. You see that 10-year mm-hmm. yield. You see that resistance here. It'd be interesting to see if we kind of retest that 4.1, You know, something in around there. And if we get back to that kind of nice round number there, um, you know, to the downside here. But but again, I, I think you think higher, don't you, Guy? And and just just quickly outline that why, why you think 10-year yields um, kind of break out of this four and a quarter range. Yeah, it's for for a couple of reasons. I think the First reason, well, first of all, global yields have been moving higher. And so I think there's a relative, there's a relative trade here as well. But also, you know, if you look at sort of our economy, debt to GDP and things that people are now starting to talk about and be concerned about, in order to buy our debt, again, people or countries or sovereigns that need to buy our debt or want to buy our debt, that's fine but they're going to demand a higher yield to do it. And I think to a certain extent, you've seen it with some of the bond auctions. 
haven't gone particularly well. Some have been good. Others have not been so good. So the market will demand a higher yield in order to buy this paper. I think that's part of it as well. And the other part, again, my opinion, is that inflation is still a problem. And we thought you'd see a reacceleration September into the fall. And at least today, you're starting to see that. So all those things put together, yeah. which is why I think yields go higher. Now, the flip side of that coin, and you know, I can completely understand on a technical level why we would fail here or start going back down. But if the market would sell off in a meaningful way, seemingly out of nowhere, I think yields will fall on the back of this perceived flight to quality. In other words, the market would go down quickly. I think the market would flock to treasuries again, thinking there was some sort of safe haven. I think you would see a similar move in the US dollar to the upside. So those are the scenarios. But to answer your original question, yes, I think yields are going higher and they're going higher for the few reasons I mentioned earlier. Yeah, Carter, let, let's look at you this morning on WorthCharting.com. Uh, you guys can find all of his great work there. Um, his daily reports um, delivered to your inbox. I got this one and I thought the timing was really good. You wanted to take a look at the home builders, um, technically, Carter. And, and again, obviously a very rate sensitive sector that has actually been moving up as rates have been moving up. So um, love to get your take on this. And then also we had a guest on CNBC's Fast Money last night um, talking about REITs. He's still pretty bearish, especially on the office REITs, uh, Carter. So we'd love to kind of ping you on that a little sure, bit. Sure. So two very rate sensitive groups. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a stab at it. Just independently before we look at the charts, I mean, just to show you how. So I had a long conversation today with uh, a portfolio manager who is uh, dedicated to financials, right? But then all areas of it, meaning home builders, um, or for instance, the real conversation today was home builders versus title insurance companies. Now that's getting very nuanced, but that is the job of a high level portfolio manager to deliver alpha. So for instance, if you look at some of these companies like FAF, uh, and basically his case is that the home builders are really detached from the title stocks because the title stocks reflect the entire housing market, whereas home builders reflect their own fundamentals. And at, at some point, right, one is a one is an issue with supply and demand or the, uh, but the other is more of a macro issue. Right. And so there's a lot of insight that I frankly am not uh, privy to or don't spend time on. But most of us wouldn't unless you are dedicated uh, to this kind of very nuanced work. And of course, getting it right in order for your $20 billion portfolio to outperform its peers. So uh, just take a look at that title insurance stocks versus home builders uh, on your own. Each of you, all of us, it's worth uh, a go. But let's look at the home builders themselves. So this is the ITB. Right, and this is um, all the names you know. It's Pulte and Toll and Lennar and um, NVR and so forth. So uh, three identical charts. Uh, we broke out, but if you don't stick your landing after you break it, you don't continue. Uh, that's called a false breakout. And while we're only slightly now below the breakout level, that's what it looks like to me. Look at the second iteration. It's a break in trend. Let's toggle between the first and second. First is a false breakout and a break in trend. So let's put them together. If we have the third chart, and there is the issue. Now, one could say, isn't that a minor head and shoulders top as well? It has that element to it. But this has been such a popular area of the market. Uh, do you just retain your longs? I would think no. So at a minimum, you trim if you're a long-only player, or you buy some puts, or you do a little bit of both, or you just reduce your exposure um, and for new money, I'd rather be short than long. That's my thinking. 
got guy on mute there. I'm sorry. I, I, I was saying I look at this and say at a certain point, um, yields will matter to this space. And I'm not suggesting the word disinflection point, but if you look at this chart, you know, we've been in this uptrend for a year effectively, and now the trend has been broken. I don't think it's coincidence that the trend is being broken at a time where, again, two-year yields are now north of 5%. And I do think, again, my opinion, 10-year yields are going to start to trend higher as well. So I guess if, if you believe the way I believe that yields will continue to go higher, you get that point of diminishing marginal returns in the home builders, and it's manifesting itself here. So whether Carter and I are right in terms of the yields, it's clear that something has broken here in terms of this ETF and in terms of the individual names. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the technical setup. And I also agree with the, the kind of view on, on yields and some of the dynamics in the housing market. So to me, I, I think that's a, a great one to, to kind of press maybe a little bit. So Carter, we, I, you know, before we had this conversation, we mentioned um, this gentleman, what was it Jonathan Litt um, uh, guy mm-hmm. who was on the program last night? And, you know, it's interesting. He was on, I want to say in the spring and we we're talking about some of the office reads and, and he is an investor in the space. And it seems like he's a bit of an activist too. And, you know, he highlighted, uh, months ago, and this is, I think, when a lot of these REITs were at their lows, saying that he's still bearish, but the equities don't have a lot of market cap in them, meaning like it doesn't seem like they're great shorts at the time. Mm-hmm. And so he was on last night. And, you know, and, and, and shout out to Karen Feinerman, our, our co-panelist. I think she bought Simon Properties at the time. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that too a little bit. You just see this thing was trading at multi-year lows. I think we have an SPG um, chart and you can see where it is now. I think it's up 40, you know, 50% or so. But last night, Lit was talking about ARE, Alexandria. I, I've never even heard, I, I don't follow space. Um, but, and, and this one guy was very near its 52 week lows. And it seems like when Mel asked him, what's your favorite short in the space? He said that one, if you look at that, you back that out to a five-year chart, this is a hard press in, in my opinion, you know what I mean? But look at the SPG really quickly on a one year and a five-year basis. And, you know, that one, if you could, if, if you, he's really bearish on the space. I mean, that, that seems like a better, a better short to me, Carter quickly on that. And then take us through what, what how you'd be thinking about the space. Right. So Simon was the biggest of all the REITs at one point. Of course, it's very tied to the consumer, as uh, as all will know. And uh, the question here now, is this particularly actionable? I, I would say no, more of a, a pair of twos to, to my eye. But a couple of things about the space. I think you mentioned uh, a little bit. Uh, the, the sector itself, right, is a very small part uh, of the S&P, right? We know that, that REITs are, what, 2.4%? of the S&P. And of those, of course, the top three or four, Prologis, which is a storage read, American Tower would be the second one, uh, public storage, Crown Castle. Uh, The big towers, it's not actually a lot of apartment REITs and things like Simon. Simon's a 3% weight. Um, At this point, I don't think REITs have a lot of downside. Now, that doesn't mean you can't find individual names that are great shorts, many are levered and will go out of business. That's what happens in, in a cycle. Um, people don't like the office towers. And yet, uh, you mentioned, I know Karen has uh, made a commitment to them on the long side. That's what makes a market. Uh, but REITs overall, we can look at uh, uh, ETFs to do that. My hunch is that the lows are in uh, and that there's uh, asymmetrical upside. And again, remember, it's not about office towers. They're not a big weighting. The biggest weighting at 10% is Prologis. It's a warehouse REIT. And then it's American Tower at 7% and so forth. So there are two ETFs. They're, they're, they're identical. 
But the bigger, the more liquid one is the IYR, the R shares rather than the spider. But you can see just to make the point how identical they are, look at this chart over two years, look at a longer term. So uh, they are the same thing and they are meant to capture uh, I, uh, the performance of the S&P 500 real estate uh, sector. But go with IYR, it's uh, twice as liquid. So this is what my eye sees. Uh, we have a low in October. Well, that low is not random. It's the same low as the S&P low. And we have since then a series of higher low, higher low, higher low. Uh, let's put some lines in. Uh, let's take away the higher lows and leave the lines. Let's pull the lines back a little further. Let's pull them back even further. And so the question is, is this particularly actual? No, this is what a pair of twos is. I mean, mm. what about that? If I took that writing on the upper left corner away and you didn't know what it was, software stock, a home builder, uh, uh, an index of uh, China or the Cosby, you would say, I don't know. Do I really want to play for the break in trend? Eh, we'll see. I'd rather press it if it gets down there. Do I want to play for a bounce? Why? This is what a pair of twos is. Um, I just don't, uh, my hunch is that the lows are in and that uh, it just becomes the yield play that it is. That's fair. And it's interesting. You, know, you look at this chart and a series of lower highs, and that goes back and from early 2022 and a series of higher lows, as Carter just said. And in order to trade this, I mean, right here, I think you're guessing clearly. I mean, I do have a view. I'll sort of differ a bit and say this thing breaks trend and goes down, but let the market be your guide. And I do think if we break that uptrend, you know, we're going to test those lows we saw in October and uh, last year in October, or if Carter is right and we break that downtrend, you know, and then you could be looking at levels you saw earlier this year. But if we go to Alexandra real quick, ARE, because you had that little longer term chart, I actually brought this up on Fast Money last night. I think it's trading about 111 and change right now. You know, I mentioned that this 108 level is a huge support level. You can see, obviously, that move to the downside we saw early in 2020 for obvious reasons. So there's your support. But if we were to break down through here and there's really no meaningful bounce, you know, I think Jonathan's going to wind up being right. And as Doug Cass just texted me, Dan, Dan, I think you probably have it as well. Jonathan Litt is probably the preeminent person in the space. So if he's pressing shorts here, who am I to argue? No, right. and just to make a point, this is a stock that's at its COVID low. That's what a breakdown mm -hmm. juncture is. The REITs are nowhere near their COVID low as an aggregate, right? And so this is a testament to relative strength. You you basically favor winners and you have uh, relative losers as your shorts. Uh, I would think this breaks, and I would say a price objective for ARE is about uh, 85 Hey, Carter, before we let you go, I, I hope these guys can pull up A-R-E-S. Okay, so it was interesting because Lit also mentioned um, last night, Guy, how the, the huge beneficiaries of the disruptions in this space, it, it, you know, it hasn't been the banks. It hasn't been these. It's, it's been these private equity players. I mean, look, look at look at this chart. Okay, Aries. Okay, pull up BX. Um, this is Blackstone. You know, we mm -hmm. spent a lot of time in the fall of 2022 talking about the gates that were up. And I know that they put the gates up, the gates are in the docks and there are small percentages and this, that, whatever. We were talking about that B-REIT. You remember that last, um, you know, late last year a little bit, but look at um, how this one's traded. Look how KKR is traded. I'm just saying in general, you know, we keep hearing about private credit. We keep hearing about um, just the, the beneficiaries of a lot of the disruptions that we've seen um, since, um, you know, since March when we saw some of those huge regionals um, go under here. So I just do think it's interesting. Carter, what do these stocks like look like to you? Right. So the, the leader has always been Aries, right? That's making all-time highs and is, is the better operator, actually. But the others are, are a different circumstance. If you look at Apollo, Carlyle, BX, right, and so forth, uh, these are bearish to bullish reversals, KKR, and they continue to develop well. 
And uh, the question is, do you favor the, the leader, A-R-E-S, or do you uh, double back and get some of these laggards? I would do both. I, I like the space. Yeah. For Guy, and better than financials, better than regional banks. Yes. Yeah. You stay with the winners here for sure. I mean, I, you know, I think A-R-E-S obviously is, is, it's basically showing why it's the leader in the space. But I think KKR is interesting here as well. Just given, I mean, you know, Carter can look at this formation and say that little rounding bottom here would definitely change in trend. And that change in trend probably happened, I don't know, fall of last year into earlier this year. But we real quick before Carter goes, because I want to keep him on for this. Got a question from Neil Griffin. Any thoughts from the guys on Costco chart? Heading to earnings in a few weeks. So if you look at Costco, I think the all-time high, this is off the top of my head, was about 590 or so. Traded off. I think the stock is trading about 560 here. If we can, so I'm actually pretty close. So, you know, this looks like Carter, it's probably going to take a run at those prior all-time highs. The question, of course, is is valuation going to get in the way? And are we going to stall at those levels? So my instincts suggest you stay with Costco into earnings, get out of it right before they report. Dan, you might have another view. Carter, you might have another view as well. Um, yeah, well, I, I, so so there's a mixed bag. Kroger's not acting particularly well. Walmart is, right? I'll put one up front. Casey, K-A-S-Y, uh, earnings app just the other day. This is a, a general retailer, but has a lot of uh, groceries. Look at that action. My hunch is to be long Costco. I, you know, I don't have a hunch. I'm going to leave you guys to your hunches there, and we'll take a closer look as we uh, get uh, in front of those earnings a little bit. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, we really appreciate you coming in t- on, on a second day in a row. I mean, Can like it? it's kind of like having your ace pitcher guy <laughs> up up to the mound on a Tuesday, exactly. but then say, "Hey, coach, I'm ready to go on Wednesday." It you happens. Know? I mean, that's why he's a gamer, man. He isn't. I mean, he's all he, Carter could have pitched in the 1960s. You know, he could have pitched with Gibson oh, and Koufax and Drysdale. You always wonder one Marichal. These guys now, if you said, you know, you have to pitch all nine innings, they'd be like, what? That's not in my yeah. contract. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, listen, right. we appreciate yeah. you being here, bud. Okay. Thanks, Carter. Um, guy, we're, this is like, uh, you know, I guess it's CPI day. So it, it's kind of heavy, you know, financials and rate oriented names. This is, we wanted to hit the banks yesterday. Yeah. Um, we did not have time here. And I thought it was interesting because Jamie Dimon, I think on Monday was speaking at the Barclays Financial Services Conference. And he said a lot of things and, you know, Jamie, um, and I don't know him, but I, so I feel weird calling him by his first name. Um, the, the, the folks over there um, at Van Halen back in the Day, didn't didn't mind calling him um, by his first name back in the day, but he seems like there was a few things he was kind of crying about a little bit, guy. You see what we're doing here? This is on on, on Monday. You know, this was so talk about music. <laughs> Van Halen's first album, the self-titled Van Halen, and if memory serves, which it typically does, Jamie's crying is the first song on the second side. Back to you. All right, fair enough. I, I, you see what we did there? I mean, like our team. I mean, like we're we're getting there, man. Like you know, we got a little music. We got a little, you know. We're just uh, we're just doing. It's it a great here. song, by the way. I tell you, you know, I call it my Pandora playlist. But it, yeah. truth be told, yeah, I think we, you, you and I both know it's Spotify yeah. playlist. So it's eight hundred and forty-five songs. A lot of Van Halen uh, on that Spotify playlist. By the way. No Sammy Hagar Van Halen. And if you're watching or listening right now, if somehow you think that Van Halen with Sammy Hagar is the same band as Van Halen with David Lee Roth, 
as I mentioned yesterday, in terms of waiting online at the Apple store, you're yeah. living life the wrong way. Back that, to you. that being said, you know, guy was with somebody the other day and they were telling me about this great corporate event they were at. And this chef was there and this was that. And they said, and Sammy Hagar was yeah, there. Was the, and point. I was like, really? I mean, like, I don't even know how, you know, I will tell you that if I had a playlist of 845 songs on any of the streaming networks, um, there'd be probably like, you know, I don't know, four for Van Halen. I mean, like for me, and, and listen, I, you and I are 10 years apart almost. Right. And so for me, like 1984, when that came out, I was 12 years old. They were killing it. That song jump, which was a horrible, horrible song. I think you would agree, but that was the huge hit. Like that's what took them from, yeah, the you know, it disappoints me. The commercial success is typically the shittiest band's song. It's incredible. Days, it's just, guitar. I don't but you know what? And that speaks to, I mean, that's a societal problem. It makes you wonder, you know why the great songs really don't don't make the commercial success that a lot of these shitty songs do and again it just speaks to the the de devolution if i may yeah. of society anyway back well, to you well you know this conversation we'll say for monday at noon when we do serious XM Business Channel 132, where we do the market call every Monday. Anyway, let's talk about the banks because I think, yeah, it's, it's important. 844-942-7866. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6. 7-8-6-6.
pressure that's been on him, I mean, they're going to kind of cut costs and, and get things in line because I think from a capital markets business, you know, yeah, we're seeing some IPOs come, come, you know, we got this arm deal, we got this Instacart, there's Clavio, there's a, a few other things, your Birkenstocks. I know you're probably wearing those um, right now. I right, stop for a second. Cause there might be a few people that actually think that's true. And I'm just going to, I just want to be clear. And I think, you know, this, yeah, no, I, no. when I go to the beach from time to time, I don't wear flip flops or nope. sandals or any of those things, Crocs, any of that shit. I wear sneakers, maybe dock siders. I think, I don't know. You know, I'm a big fan of God, but when he made feet, man, he really blew it on that one. I don't, I'm not interested in anybody's feet. So if you're wearing shoes that I can see your feet again, like if you're waiting online in the Apple store, you're living life wrong. So no, I don't yeah. wear Birkenstocks. Yeah, but you know, you. They, they do make some Birkenstocks guy. They're like the clogs, like, like covering. Yeah, no, toes. come on. Seriously. Like, I okay, mean, all right, moving on. Um, but that is that, that, that company is eyeing an IPO here, um, yeah. which is, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it'll probably become a meme stock for or all intents and purposes. Let's look um, at the regional banks. Let's look at the, the, the KRE here. Um, because interesting, you just mentioned that some of the, the large money center banks that were perceived to be the beneficiary of the weakness in regionals and some of them going under, um, you know, they're giving it back and, and look at this. Now the regionals, they had this really nice bounce. There were no other failures, you know, coming out of that kind of few month period in the spring, but that thing's breaking down. Mm -hmm. You got a you declining 200 day moving average from a technical standpoint, not particularly great. Um, and I just want to put this one up because not a regional bank, but look at Charles Schwab. And, and this is one that had that huge gap right after those earnings in July guy. And, and I think a lot of folks said, well, maybe they're out of the woods and it's given a bunch of that back here. And it's below that uptrend that had been in place from um, those May lows a little bit. So I think the jury is still out on the banking sector. If you want to look at the KBW bank index, um, this one, one also, you know, you could say maybe it's trying to kind of put a little bit of a double bottom here near term. But again, I, I feel like, you know, that declining moving average. And if these stocks can't get meaningfully going and above that former uptrend that is now resistance, um, we're probably likely to see, you know, further weakness. I think so. You know, Sheila Bear was on Fast Money a month and a half, two months ago. She thought there'd be another shooter drop in the space. I agree with her. I'm probably, I'll be quite honest. Like, I thought back in March, April, May that that shoe was going to drop uh, a lot sooner. I thought it would, something would happen over the summer. It did not. Let's be clear. And the stocks continue to rally. You know, we said for a while, in the absence of bad news, the KRE, the KBW will probably rally as people look for places they can wrap their head around in terms of valuation. It's not coincidental, by the way, that the Russell, the IWM, also ride over that period of time because they're sort of heavy in the small and regional banks. But now the tide is turning. Again, I don't think it's coincidence that it's turning as rates are going higher. I think that there's still some mismatches on balance sheets that have yet to be sort of um, put out there and bet to be exposed. I think it's just a matter of time. So Yes, the bad news hasn't happened, but that doesn't mean we're not on the verge of something happening. And I think the stock's performance over the last couple of weeks sort of speaks to that. All right. One last thing before we get out of here. And I think this is really important. Again, when we we're talking about, you know, we started the show talking about our, our kind of view about where rates are, what it means for the economy, what these CPI readings mean, what unemployment ticking up means, what a consumer that is not particularly optimistic at a time where I think we're going to start seeing, um, you know, a little, a little more trepidation about wages, about, um, you know what I mean? The jobs picture and, and some of the data we're seeing, some of the, the survey work is suggesting that the consumers are getting a little bit more nervous on that front. If we 
we look at stocks, we look at the VIX, okay, a measure, okay. And if you look at the VIX curve, you see that it's not a 13 and a half VIX, okay? People are particularly concerned about what might happen in a few months or so. But guy, right here, okay, right now, there's a couple things here. At the end of the month, we have the potential for a government shutdown. We have the potential for the United Auto Workers strike. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we've seen some estimates about what that could mean for GDP. And, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, Q3 GDP is tracking above 3% or something. It seems like outrageous if you think about it. You know what I mean? Given a whole host of other factors here. But are some of these things, you know, likely, you know, if they were to come to pass, I mean, what that, could that be the thing that no one's paying attention to or no one's you know everyone's discounting yeah. the last point i'll just make is maybe these guys can pull up the ups chart a one-year chart and then a five-year chart and these guys big, are big support here your huge support level in ups you know and i know i knew it i knew what it was looking at because i was talking about it the other day i mean this is a huge level you go back to the fall of last year i mean we've round tripped the move so you better friggin hold right here in terms of ups for sure and i think you know, you can dis- dismiss these things all you want, but we're at pretty critical levels, number one. And I think you're right, again, to point out a potential government shutdown. What the optimists will say is every, we, always make a, we always make a big deal out of these things. We always get right to the edge, and then they figure it out. And to sell the market off on the back of it or in front of it is always a foolish thing. And you know what? Quite frankly, that's true. The environment Definitely feels a little different this time. Um, it feels as though Speaker McCarthy's sort of position is in jeopardy if, in fact, he doesn't push the envelope. I don't want to play politics here. It bores the shit out of me. But clearly, the landscape is a little bit different. And in terms of the United Auto Workers, what are they asking for? They're asking for a shorter work week and more money to the tune of 40% over a number of years. I mean, think about those increases. I think they just lowered their demands to 36 percent or so. But that speaks to, again, the problem with inflation. People are feeling it. They need to be paid more to catch up or just keep track or just sort of hold serve with inflation. And it's not happening. So all of those things should be concerning. Yeah. So one thing I'll just say, we spent some time talking about home builders and and, and, and whether you think that the near term pattern is bearish or not, that, that's here nor there. The, 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 the group has performed very well. We can agree on that. OK, but let me just tell you something else. When you think about, you know, UPS and FedEx, you think about the autos. OK, you think about um, Doug Cass also on Real Money had a note out about airlines that I saw earlier today. Let's pull up the Jets chart, the ETF that tracks the airlines. When you think about that. When you think about you know what's going on in some of these really important industrial areas of our economy, and at least what the stocks are saying, guy, um, and what they are reacting to, it does feel like we're probably discounting a lot of stuff and really putting a lot of eggs in the AI basket and the excitement about just some of these weird dynamics as it relates to housing. You know what I mean? And what are the banks saying? That's the other. I mean, like there's just so many things in the stock market flashing warning signs. It really does feel guy a little bit like those last few months of 2021, where there was plenty of things under the hood that should have made equity investors very nervous. But the S&P and the NASDAQ continue to make new highs on the back of about 10 stocks. And therefore, people felt okay about what was going on. I look under the hood now, and I'm starting to get some of the same itchy feelings that I got in late 2021. 
people, you know, there you can say a lot of things about us. I don't think Cavalier is one of them. Uh, you know, maybe we're too pessimistic, or me myself, maybe I'm too pessimistic. And I and I've said this for years. You know, I was raised in a Wall Street. What can go wrong will go wrong, right? So I'm always, I'm always prone to look at sort of what shoe is next to drop. That's just the way I am. And you'll be like, that's a shitty way to live life. Well, yeah, I guess, but that's just the way I am, number one. The flip side of that coin is just to be cavalier and say everything is fine. And right now, it seems as though the market's pinning a lot of its hopes onto something that's going to be around for the remainder of my lifetime, but is being unjustly rewarded for it in terms of valuation. And if you just listen to the commentary of a number of companies that are around the AI space, yeah, they paint a somewhat rosy picture going forward. But in the here and now, they're saying, we're just not seeing the demand that's commensurate with some of the valuations out there. Go back and look. C3AI, by, C3AI, by the way, being the latest. So you want to be long NVIDIA at 460? That's great. If you're doing it for a trade because you think it's going to make a new all-time high and get to a trillion and a half dollar valuation, I understand if that's your premise. But you know, if you think that you know this is a company that's going to take over the world, we have heard those narratives before and they typically don't. Uh, work out that well. Uh, matter of fact, I mean, and that's a stock that, you know, again, we've talked about it a lot on our pods. Um, you know, it was at the forefront of almost every really exciting tech narrative of the last five or six years, whether it was crypto mining, whether it was gaming, it was data center, it was autonomous driving, it was, you know, a whole host of things, right? So now it's AI. Um, but I think the most important thing is that the way Oracle sold off um, mm -hmm. yesterday down 13.5%, the way Microsoft sold off about 10% from its highs, you know, like right before its earnings to the post earnings after its guidance, the way Apple, and again, this is not the AI trade, but, you know, also sold off. I just think that, you know, you put this together over the last two months and I see a NASDAQ that's probably topping out a little bit, um, you know, so, you know, we've talked about that uptrend and that's a steep one, man. But um, if Microsoft and Apple that looked very similar could break their uptrend and they make up 20 some percent of the NASDAQ 100, I think a few other names joining the party here and you have this thing testing that 200 day moving average and it's rising uh, a little bit every day. I mean, that's something that I think if you are bullish heading into 2024 guy on a lot of the themes that have kind of gotten the market here, a 10% pullback in the S&P and the NASDAQ would be probably the best thing that could happen in the not so distant future and really set up for a move in 2024. And then you want to take a, you want to take a, um, you know, a victory lap, the Fed at that point, you know what I mean? And, and this, and whatever, I think it's the equity market and the housing market are the last two pieces of the puzzle that make folks like us remain fairly bearish because there's too much optimism about risk assets in this growth environment and this interest rate environment. Gene Munster was on Fast Money last night and we had a good conversation. He's obviously been at bull and he's been right to be bullish. He also acknowledged that in the here and now, in the short term, given some of the headwinds and for Apple, especially China, that, yeah, you could see a 10% move. And a 10% move in Apple to the downside gets you to that 160 level that you flagged a couple of times. It all, it all does make sense. And again, if you don't, it's funny. You know, the, the Chinese got the Chinese putting a ban on Apple phones for government workers. You know, people say it's not a big deal. OK, that's fine. It's not a big deal. The next step is you know, shadow ban it in the entire country. That's that's coming. I can almost you know, I hate to make any guarantees, but that's coming to a theater near you. Then you have to ask yourself, what does that mean for Apple? And people say, well, 
they're they're moving in their supply chains and they're getting it. Yeah, that's great. Except that takes time. And by the way, Apple's still a big market for them in terms of sales, despite the fact that they're probably number four on the depth chart in terms of their phones. It's still a huge number. None of these things are particularly good. So that's how I look at the yeah. world right now. I mean, I think China still is wielding a pretty big bat, and I think the geopolitical risk out there is still significant. And I think inflation is rearing its ugly head at the exact wrong time. Yeah, one, one thing while this chart's still up here, Guy, um, <clears throat> you know, go back and look at Q4 of last year or the end of Q3, Q4. Look at the volatility that this stock was having. You know what I mean? There, there were some big moves, like some big palpitations. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, it just fell out of bed. And, and I, you know, it was making 52-week lows, Guy, in the first week of this year. And then look at this, just uh, the powers that be. It seems like every major mutual fund, every major pension fund, every major sovereign wealth fund, Berkshire Hathaway, they were just like buying it every day for nine months. I mean, like literally every day. And look at how the volatility just came out of, of, of this stock. And so it's back right now. And there's two big gaps. One was earnings and one was just, you know, in, 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 you know, in response to that whole situation you just mentioned with China. And so, you know, Carter said it yesterday, I'm no technician, but when you see the volatility bands now start to widen, you see two downward gaps on fundamental news. It just doesn't seem like something until it feels washed out, until it feels oversold, until you have bulls capitulate that you want to get back in after, or you want to start buying, you know what I mean? Uh, you know what I mean? After this period of bottom left, upper right for eight months in a 45 degree angle. In a world of passive investing, which has obviously been de rigueur, as they say, for, I don't know, uh, you know, many, many years, but really taken hold over the last decade or so. When Apple is in three, I think Apple is in the top one, five, 15 holdings of about 347 or so ETFs. Money flows in, Apple goes higher. It's just that simple. So Apple wins to that world. Of course, the flip side of the coin is if the passive invest passive investing becomes active, it ain't going to be active on the way up. So just as Apple wins to the upside, it could be extraordinarily vulnerable to the downside if something were to, in fact, happen. Yeah. And just one last thing before we get out of here, Guy. Um, I just want to make sure that you set um, your Apple reminder. I'm actually going to do it right now. Just put your phone up for a second. Um, I'm going to say, um, hey, Siri, no, wake Guy, up. Wake guy up at September 15th at midnight so he can put his pre-order in for his I've, Apple. You know I've something? Seen I've seen people do that, that that hey siri thing like they yeah. talk to their phone yeah. yeah and a lot of times it doesn't work so they have to do it again yeah. like hey see like they get they get mad at it like it's yeah. a person which is dumb beyond you i mean is that what we are as a society we have to yes. you talk hey siri remind me you know what here's one for you and you're gonna get mad at this one hey siri go f yourself you can cut <laughs> that out amanda sorry <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave that one in. Um, all right. Guy Adami, this was fun. We had Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Uh, that was fun. Carter's just the man. Is he the Love man? Carter. He's the man. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So thanks for being here, everybody. We, we, we got a lot of fun. Uh, we got a, a lot of fun responses. I'm sure somebody sees them. Um, not us, because we were very focused on the show today, weren't we, Guy? Absolutely, as we should be. And I apologize for the vernacular at the end. If you want to upset me, t talk to me about anything about technology improving our lives yeah. and how much better we all are because of technology. Just go ahead. I'll yeah. wait. Anyway, that's it for Market Call. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Speaking of tomorrow, 
Elizabeth Young, EY from SoFi will be joining us. Get ready, people. Butters. Butters. Joining us. I don't think he's going to be physically joining us, but we'll have his work. And we'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Hasta la vista, peeps. See you later. Bye.